0: Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, and in this episode, I want to reflect upon what's going on in Israel and Gaza. Now, it's not a simple discussion, it's not an easy discussion, but I think it is very important for all of us to reflect upon these things and really figure out our place within this in terms of what we can do and how can we be of most benefit um, and kind of what it means in the larger context of things. You know, oftentimes, in fact, most times, none of us really need real-time information. We are not on the front lines, you know, having to make certain decisions. What we really need is perspective. And that's what I've been trying to gain in the past few days um, since, you know, the start of all of this. And trying to have a more nuanced perspective, trying to, you know, I always try to be very thoughtful with how I go about it um, and try to add something to the conversation, A, that I believe in, B, that, you know, that others perhaps haven't said or saying it in a slightly different way and adding to it and you know, piecing something from here and there and whatnot. And my big thing is, what is the path to peace? And let me take a quick step back. So, you know, last year with the Ukraine war, I did a few episodes reflecting on that. And one of the things that I condemned in that sort of series was this rah, rah, rah nature, let's go, Um, you know, Russia must be punished. And I I said, this is just creating another cycle and it doesn't end good. And when you look at kind of where we're at now, you know, we're not at the two-year mark, that'll be next year, but so far there's no end in sight, you know. Billions upon billions have been spent. Lives have been lost. And when you look at the territories of Ukraine that have been regained versus the ones, like, there's pretty much no difference. And yet still, there seems to be no end in sight. You know, we can look at the Afghanistan war, which we recently got out of, What was, what did that end up being, right? What what good did that ultimately do? And there seems to be no incentive on the U.S. side. And, you know, certainly Ukraine's not necessarily going to push for this. But by us as the U.S. supplying Ukraine and giving them aid, what are we doing to nudge peace negotiations, Well, we aren't really, or if we are, it hasn't been made clear whatsoever to anyone. And I try to apply that same logic here, because what is the path to peace here? We know that this is a complicated history. That's an ongoing history. So how does this break that cycle of violence? And it's a difficult question to answer for sure. But there's an Irish joke about a tourist, you know, where the tourist asks this Irishman for directions and the Irishman tells the tourist, well, if you're trying to go there, I wouldn't start here. So the point being, however unrealistic things at the moment are, it's like, what would be the ideal? And how do we get there? Let's focus on that. And then we can sort of backtrack it because as, as it stands right now, yeah, there, it seems inexplicable, a path to peace. But the same thing seemed impossible in Ireland And not that it's all rainbows and butterflies there, but certainly it is way better by comparison than in years prior, which seemed impossible. And in many ways, to say statements like, I condemn Hamas... I pray for Israel and its children. I pray for Palestine and its children. Like These are just banal statements, and yet... There's this big issue that I see where emotions are so heightened... That there's just a lot of warmongering and genocidal ideation. And not by everyone, you know, not by everyone. But enough people where there's an escalatory rhetoric, you know, one adds on top of the other. And to make matters worse, there's the notion that social media spreads false information, right? It's very easy to do that. But more recently the incident of the Gaza hospital being bombed and that being blamed on Israel with reportedly 500 dead didn't turn out to be true in the sense that Israel had nothing to do with it. Yet, major publications, news sources, you know, uh, like worldwide ran with it. And everyone used that to justify, you know, um, this... Anger against Israel. Turns out that was false, right? But the retractment of it does not carry the same weight, right? You know, it, 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 I forget that exact quote, but, you know, a lie will go around the world six times before the truth even has a chance to get out the door or something like that. And unfortunately, it's true. What I think is even worse is that I think the same people that took that information about uh, the, the falsehood of Israel bombing Gaza, the, the Gaza hospital, I think they saw the fix of it, but it didn't fit their narrative. And so they're not going to retract their own ideas, right? We, we, we get into these bubbles and we'll take anything that supports it and, be, and shove it in people's faces. Anything that doesn't, we just dismiss. And so it's it's not good. It's not like that's not the path forward. So where where do we go from here? That that that's kind of the, the big question. And I think a big problem with the world is we are just so good at otherizing. Ukrainians versus Russians, Israel-Palestinians, uh, uh, Democrats-Republicans, you know, rich versus poor, uh, boomers versus millennials versus Gen Z. We, we find these ways of dividing ourselves. And If there is a path forward, we really need to see the humanity in all of us. But in order to do that, we have to kind of turn that mirror. We have to turn that lens onto ourselves and make it a mirror. Maybe not the best analogy, but I hope you get what I mean. So let's take something such as this. You know, a lot of people are making the distinction that Israel the government is not necessarily representative of Israel the people, and that's true. No different than Hamas is not necessarily representative of the Palestinian people. And Noam Chomsky will be the first one to say that you know, government policy is not necessarily reflective of its people. This is true in many instances. However. What we have to look at, so in that sense, you know, when Trump was president, he didn't reflect my views, just like even Biden, you know, um, he doesn't necessarily reflect my views either. But Trump I think is much more understandable because he's so divisive. So when it comes to Trump, I may not have voted for him, but how am I culpable as a person to have allowed that to happen? How did we as a nation get to that place where we allowed this? Well, you know, people will blame the Republicans. And just be like, oh, it's all the Republicans, they're crazy, this and that. Again, we're just otherizing and creating a division that they're not us. You know, they're stupid, we're smart, we know better, they don't know jack shit. As opposed to looking at it, you know, we've allowed government to be corrupt on both sides. Um, you know, So the, the the rhetoric of Trump saying, you know, drain the swamp and stuff like that was a very appealing one because people who would not seeing themselves being fought for now suddenly we're being fought for and the stuff that you know many people were being gaslit about or you know just like the uh, like just the lies of it all you know now finally i was coming to a fruition now it's unfortunate because you know it was a negation and negation meaning you know uh, Trump masquerades as this person who's going to do all these things, but he's not. He just knows what you want to hear. But that was appealing to people, right? And so, you know, we have to look at, like, societally as a whole, how did we get to that place? How did we allow that to happen? You know, oftentimes, uh, I I cite this incredible documentary called White Right Meaning the Enemy. And in it, the filmmaker is a journalist, and, you know, she herself was interviewed uh, on the BBC. This was uh, pre-Trump being elected. And, you know, she... Advocated for multiculturalism. And she got so much. Hate messages. And even like death threats essentially. (coughs) Excuse me. From white nationalists. So. She took it upon herself. To come to the US. And meet with the leaders. Of white national movements. To try to understand them. And she did this incredible interview with um, Simon Sinek on the A Bit of Optimism podcast where they reflected on that documentary. And he coined her skill as extreme listening. When we see the world as it is today, there's a lot of extremism. But not extreme listening. And I say that because as far as her documentary, what she did was she went in and she didn't try to confront, blame. She literally went in with a genuine goal of understanding and meeting the quote-unquote enemy. And by her not being combative, many of them started to befriend her. And many started to change their views. That was difficult for them because there was that other force pulling at them, um, you know, of the white nationalist ideals. But the common thread there was fear. You know, they were all acting out of fear. And if there is a path forward to any of this, I think the the documentary White Right, Meeting the Enemy, represents one of the paths forward through extreme listening. Because oftentimes we, you know, especially like now with social media, we just spread our message, spread our message. No one's really listening to each other. And that's what fuels this escalation. And so forth. And I think too, there's this insidious aspect of social media where you don't particularly want social justice. You just want to be involved. And that's again a harsh reality, but we have to look inward. You know, and, and, and see our ourselves reflected in all, on all that. Um So I think that's sort of my main message is we need to really stop otherizing because where are we headed, you know? Um, Where does this cycle break? And I understand that's a tough pill to swallow, but I also sort of look at it this way. With everything that's going on, there are still Israeli hostages, right, held by Hamas. How does this, so Hamas, according to everything I know, you know, they don't really care about Palestinian life. I mean, they use them as human shields. So how does any of this deter them and give back the hostages? In fact, if anything, it kind of justifies for them. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not. I'm not justifying it, just for clarity. But for them, it justifies we'll slaughter them. Go right ahead. You know. See, this is what the Jews do. And it also just, again, when we, we, when so many of us on social media just cherry pick what's good for the narrative, it supports this anti-Semitic hate, which is, now, let me be clear, you know, as I said, though it is a banal statement, it seems very weird to have to say, and yet say it we must. Of I can support Israel and its people, and I can support Palestine and its people. Like they don't have to be in natural opposition against each other, you know, at least from the principal standpoint in most people's minds. And yet, that's kind of, it becomes this dichotomy. You know, this or that. Again, the otherization of it all. And it's very disheartening to see, especially from people that claim they want, you know, one love, one uh, love for all, respect for all. You know, and one thing, like... This is sort of a tangent, but it's obviously related. You know, the word anti-Semitism, I was talking with one of my Jewish friends. And I said, listen, far be it from me to criticize the Jews. But if there's one criticism I have, it's stop using the word anti-Semitic Semitic, because it's just such a clinical word, um, for lack of a better term. Like It's, it's one that you would use in a scholarly paper that is so detached. Instead, just call it what it is, Jew-hating, right? That's what anti-Semitism is. It's you hate the Jews. Um, and that verbiage, Jew-hater, is much more direct um, than anti-Semitism. It, again, anti-Semitism feels like this removed thing. But when you say, Jew, oh, you're a Jew-hater, all of a sudden, you know, that, that, that forces something. Now, that might seem strange when, to say, when what I've been talking about is this idea of de-escalation. But de-escalation is also an admitting of the truth. You know, and in search of the actual truth. So forgetting the lies. And that's why I can, you know, sort of believe that or say that. Now, I am hopeful because... You know, when people make the 9-11 comparison, I'm seeing also people realize that that became false dichotomies and drove more and more war. You know, you're either with us or you're against this type of mentality. And so in a way, it's good to see that, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me sort of a thing. Now something separate kind of evolved, I mean, it's all related. And it might seem disattached, but again, I'm trying to speak from a place of there rather than here. And when we talk about otherization, it's because we label ourselves. And you know, one of the things as I look at it labels in the good sense can be a way of saying this is the community I belong to right this is who I have kinship with we have bonds and that's beautiful we're there for each other that's great but like all things there exists a spectrum and where we run into problems with labels is when it turns to fanaticism. You know, even in sports, you know, especially like I'm most familiar with soccer. So in soccer, there's been a lot of violence because of fans, you know, just being so, attaching their entire identity with A team to the point that even if their team that if their team loses now they're pissed off at the team and you know i don't think there's anything wrong with kind of showing this satisfaction but it's certainly been taken to levels on multiple occasions by not just a few individuals to say the least to unhealthy levels I mean, recently I watched the, uh, the, the David Beckham documentary, Beckham, on Netflix, and, you know, after the 1998 World Cup, you know, his own fans from England turned on him and blamed him. And it was a very, just for lack of a better way of saying it, bad situation, you know. It was It was very toxic. You know, there's this wonderful commencement speech by David Foster Wallace that you can listen to. It's about 20 minutes, called This Is Water. And the main takeaway from that is we need to get past our natural default setting, which is to make everything self-centered and to really think about how we think, you know, learning to think. Because otherwise, we just default to our natural settings, you know, which can be anger, frustration, violence. Now, I don't necessarily believe those are natural defaults, but through society's conditioning and stuff like that, they can become that. And so, It's the work of our lifetimes to shed that. And again, notice, like, I'm trying, my goal with this episode is not to, because I can't, I, I, I don't want to talk about a specific news event, because it's not about that. You know, what I hold dear and what I, you know, what I want is something that's applicable now tomorrow and so forth because the cycle of violence needs to end it's not good for anybody not for the israelis not for the palestinians and to break that we need to do go about it differently <clears throat> and you are seeing As I said, you you know, just like Mr. Rogers tells us in times of trouble to look for the helpers. I'm very encouraged by even the people in Israel who are not, you know, pleased with their their government and, and voicing their disapproval of that. You know, because the whole notion was, we're gonna essentially give up a lot of freedoms so that way we can feel protected and that didn't seem to work, you know? I mean, it didn't work in this sense. You know, and people are calling for a ceasefire and as I said, they're, they're, the comparison to 9-11, um, they're starting to learn the lessons that we can't get into another, another cycle of violence because how do you get out of it? It's just, I mean, I'm much more knowledgeable of Ukraine simply because I grew up in Slovakia and I, I just know that culture um, and the history of Russia and the Soviet Union and stuff like that a lot better than I do the history of you know, Israel and that region. But And I'll never forget at the start of the Ukraine war, there were literally polls by very credible people and that were being retweeted and so forth where it asked like how long do you think this war will last two weeks four weeks six weeks and people thought this was legitimate and they like it'll probably last four weeks I'm like are you insane what war lasts four weeks at a minimum a war lasts a year and especially and and you know now we're well past the year and as I said at the top, with no no indication of any resolution. Right? It is not like Ukraine, as I said, if you look at the territory today versus, you know, when it all started, it is not that much different. And so it's like, what has all this been for? You know, if... If we could look at, like, okay, you know, all this money, like, even from that perspective, like, I'm not pro-war, but let's say, like, all this stuff of supplying them with aid really drove out the Russians, and they were able to, like, get this back and, you know, start to mount a defense. If that was the case, then, okay, cool. Okay, you know, then that would be a harder argument to look at and be like, okay, well, I guess the end, you know, I don't love it, but the ends, I guess, justify the means. We're not even there. And so how do you look at this and think any sort of differently? And I think, you know, the, the reason I'm doing this is because, as I said, we are... In the privilege where we don't need the real-time information what we need is perspective and that's what we can help bring to all of this. is that okay how do do we see the path forward because emotions are high I mean I, I, I saw a very respected rabbi that that I also you know have a lot of reverence for and I could tell that he was emotional and the things that he was saying we're in reaction to, and I know that's it wasn't his true nature. And I talked with a friend about it, who's who's Jewish, and she was like, "Yeah, I, he was, you know, he was tired, and he was wound up." I'm like, understandably, I get it, I get it, but I also know that's not his true nature. So, um. But it doesn't excuse it either, right? Like, we have to be careful with, with these things. Um, but I think in doing so, you know, notice no, not that, like, I'm the saint or anything, like, but I didn't condemn him of, like, how could you, blah, blah, blah. I offered compassion, you know, because I, I knew where I was coming from. You know, one last sort of thing that I want to bring up as well during this time. Well, I guess a few things, but they're related. Number one, I have a lot of friends, you know, whatever side uh, that they're, you know, empathizing with who are really distraught. And I get it, but I also ask them, by you essentially emotionally being in the trenches and being a complete wreck, how does that help them? Right? Because they don't need you to, 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 to feel what they feel in that way. You can be empathetic without having to go through all that because they need you to be that clear-headed person to provide the solutions, to help. Rather than you know just to add yourself into the trenches mentally speaking, and I do think you know I think we feel required to have to put ourselves mentally in a state of despair when the world feels we have to like reflect that I don't and I don't think that's a necessity. We can be well aware. I'm not saying like just push that aside and bypass it and be like ah la 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 la. No. But you can still have happiness in your own life and be well aware of that and be acting towards resolution. To me, they're not opposites. They're one and the same. In fact, In the Jewish faith, one of the things I do love is when a funeral procession and a wedding procession are coming and they happen to meet in the middle, who gets the right of way? The wedding. Because you celebrate life. And I think we kind of need to be reminded of that um, in many ways is... To celebrate life and to see the oneness of life, really. Now, I understand that there's there may be criticism for this that these are not the right words, and I think you know really explore that because I, I they might be just words that. You know someone doesn't want to hear it doesn't mean they're not the right words and, and listen you know I I may misstep here and there of course and I get one of the biggest criticisms is okay well how do you begin that that path forward you know, this is all well and good, but it's uh, very academic, you know, it's 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 removed from what's actually happening. You notice I didn't speak to the history, which. I I, I know I, I know a surface level amount of. But as I said, you know, in order to get to there, we can't just start from here. And I think if there is a first step. We, as a people, really need to kind of just dial it down for ourselves, let cooler heads prevail, and really reflect on this, you know, and and listen to perspectives, you know, and practice extreme listening, so that way we are not quick to just make these judgments, and that we don't cherry pick what's convenient for our narrative and what's not, because that That is the louder... I don't know if it's the majority or the minority, but it's certainly louder in terms of social media and even kind of just from the political arena. And I just think we need to be careful with that. And, uh, and it starts with us. So, you know. I won't unpack this quote here today, but I will introduce it, something to, to really reflect upon. You cannot believe in karma and evil at the same time. And to me, I guess I'll unpack it a little bit, but evil creates this distinction, right? Us versus someone else. There's a moral justification. Um Whereas karma encompasses the whole and it takes ownership and responsibility with oneself as as well as somebody else. That to me is the distinction. Now, you might not believe in karma. You might just believe that there's good people and evil people. It's not a popular opinion but I don't believe there's evil. I believe in karma, and I believe there's good people. And by the way, not just like this individual, but you know, throughout history, karmic shifts and things of that nature. So it's not just tied into one specific specific thing. Uh, it's much more global. But I believe that there are evil acts, but I don't necessarily believe that people are evil. And that we can bring back people who have fear and hatred in their hearts. Like the journalist from White Right Meeting the Enemy shows, you know, that is a path forward. It's not a simple one. Well, technically, it sort of is a simple one, it's not an easy one. But what's the alternative? We all just continue to kill each other. So, that's what I will leave you on. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to tune in. I implore you to comment down below. You know, share your thoughts. You may agree on some things. You may disagree on some others may agree or disagree on everything. I don't know. As long as you're respectful, I'll be respectful back. I will. So thank you. I appreciate you.